Good morning. Our Bible reading today is from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. As they brought it to Jesus, they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now is hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. I invite you now to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. As we continue in our series, uh, The Way of the King. Uh, as we said, this is a family service. And just a reminder that uh, the goal of learning God's word, the goal of hearing it taught and preached, is to grow into the likeness of Christ, to become more like Christ. We trust that the Spirit of God is active as we listen to the Word of God. And what the Spirit is doing is He's applying it to our hearts. He's like dropping little seeds of truth into the soil of our hearts that we would grow up into the knowledge and into the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're in a series called The Way of the King, and this morning we're going to be talking about a story that feels a bit like a fairy tale. Uh, raise your hand if you like fairy tales. Anybody here like fairy tales? Yeah, I'm a, huge, a big fairy tale guy. Uh, during COVID, uh, we watched, watched a lot of TV. <laughs> Just gonna be honest with you. We watched a lot of TV, and I wanna tell you, fairy tales were big in our house. Uh, and it's, it's, something magical. I love this picture because the fairy tales, like, it's not just a story. It's like there's something extra special in the story. Uh, and Luke, as he's writing this account, what you, what you may or may not know is that Luke is going back through the Old Testament and he's pulling out all these little breadcrumbs Think Hansel and Gretel. They left breadcrumbs, right, as they were going along the way. Luke has put all these breadcrumbs from the Old Testament into this story to help people remember, remember what's brought them up to this point. But there's some famous fairy tales. This is a, a castle. You know, we think about the kings in a castle. Anybody think of a fairy tale with a castle? Shout it out. Shrek. There we go. Sort of a modern fairy tale. 
Not quite the Brothers Grimm, but we'll take it. Yep. Uh, yeah, anyone else? Yeah, very. What? Rapunzel. There you go. That's a good one. Yep. I see you back there. Dominic? Cinderella. There we go. Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, that's good. This is uh, my representation of Goldilocks. All right, one of my favorite fairy tales as a kid was Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Now, uh, you may have heard the story of Goldilocks. She is this child. I know it's probably an older person, uh, but she goes on this journey and she's walking through the woods and she keeps on walking and the woods are a bit scary and the woods are a bit dark and you know it's all narrowing in and she happens to come upon a house in the woods right i don't know if it looked like this but uh it came upon a house in the woods and now i'm just gonna emphasize these pictures are not to scale okay this is just to spark your imagination <laughs> all right i don't want somebody to come up to me afterwards and say jonathan that's actually not to code you know uh she comes upon this house in the woods. Goldilocks comes in and she goes and she's trying out all the stuff, right? She tries out the porridge and she tries out, she tries out the bed and she, she tries out the chair, right? Uh, I'm hoping this sort of gives you like flavors of winter right now, just, just to keep you going for the next, next few minutes. Uh, she tries out the chair and you know how the story goes, right? She tries, you know, Papa's porridge and it's too hot and Mama's is too cold, but Baby Bear's is just right, right? And she tries, you know, Papa's bed is too hard, Mama's is too soft, but you know, Baby Bear's bed is just right, right? and so on and so forth. And then the bears come back, right? And and the, the, the bears come back and they realize, hold on a second, somebody's been doing something here. And, and, and the line, for whatever reason, that just always sticks out to my, in my memory, maybe the person who was telling it might have been, you know, just how, how I learned it as a kid, but the line that sticks out to me for when, when the bears come back is Baby Bear, who says, someone's been sitting in my chair, right? I don't know if you're a person who read it to you had that sort of wine in it, but it, that's just sort of how it came across to me. It's like, that's my porridge. That's my bed. Who's in my chair? This story that we have in Luke, it brings up these questions of somebody sitting in somebody else's chair. But it's not, it's not really a chair of that you would lounge in. It's... it's it's a kingly chair. And kings sit on a throne. Exactly. This passage in Luke chapter 19 is about the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. It's actually not about his arrival just yet. It's about him entering. If you can imagine the story of the bears sort of coming up to the, to, to, to the house. This is Jesus as he's encroaching upon Jerusalem. As we consider the entrance of the king today, the big question that Luke has been building to for many, many chapters in his gospel is, what is Jesus going to find in Jerusalem? There's this sense that Jesus has always had to go to Jerusalem. We've been reminded no less than nine times in the last ten chapters or so. And now Luke's saying, what's going to happen when he's there? What's he going to find when he gets there? But the big idea, and if you don't remember anything else from what I have to say today, I want you to remember this, is that Jesus enters Jerusalem as God's king. When he comes in, he's coming in as God's king. 
This is not a, yes, there's people who are excited that he's coming, uh, but Jesus, and Luke emphasizes this, that Jesus of his own volition and under his own control enters Jerusalem as the rightful king. I'm going to pray right now, and then we'll tell our story, and we'll ask a few questions to finish up. Father in heaven, would you bless us this morning as we consider your word? Give us encouragement and strength through the Holy Spirit to know what it is saying to us. Father, may we hear your voice, for you are a good and loving God. You're a father who takes care of his children. And so, Lord, would you sustain us through your truth this morning? Amen. Well, Jesus was on his way from Jericho. Jericho was a city not far from Jerusalem, but it was a bit of a walk. And uh, here's some shots of Jerusalem. Uh, there, there's a, something called the Mount of Temptation. They built a monastery there. I don't know why you'd build a monastery in a place called the Mount of Temptation, but that's what that picture is. Uh, this is a, a, a sort of a modern-day shot over Jericho, and so this is where Jesus had healed the blind beggar. This is where Jesus saw Zacchaeus and had the meal. We looked at that last week. And Jesus is now on his way, and featuring prominently in this passage is the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives was a little bit higher than the mountain or the rise, if you will, uh, the mount that Jerusalem, uh, the city of God's people, sat on. It was, about, it was about 300 meters taller, and it was just about a kilometer sort of walk uh, in between the two. And so Jesus, you need to imagine him, he's coming from east and he's traveling west, and he's on this, this mountain, and it's looking down on Jerusalem. And so the events that we're seeing today is Jesus, as he's sort of getting up to the summit of the Mount of Olives, and then as he's beginning to walk down into Jerusalem. This is not a passage of him entering the city streets of Jerusalem. This is a passage of him coming to the Mount of Olives and looking over the city, and we're going to finish there. But this is really a procession. I had the privilege of doing a wedding yesterday, and everyone knows there's this classic song. It's called The Wedding March. We didn't play it, but when you hear The, when you hear the Wedding March, you know, oh, that's the song you play when, when people come in. There's, at very formal occasions, you make a special celebration for people just simply entering, and that's what's happening here with Jesus. He is entering Jerusalem and we're going to learn about his special procession. There's another picture of the Mount of Olives uh, today. You're, you're in Jerusalem and you're looking up at the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives was a really important place because uh, there's two sort of key passages in the Old Testament. Remember, we told you Luke, he likes to pick up these breadcrumbs from the stories of the Old Testament. And one of the, bread, one of the stories of the Old Testament, one of the breadcrumbs, is that King David, when he was on the run because his son turned away from him and his son tried to take his power, when King David was on the run from Absalom, he went up the Mount of Olives and he was crying and he's weeping. And here some scholars have noted that Jesus is actually doing the opposite. Here is another son of David, someone with David's authority, who is coming down the Mount of Olives and it's joyful. There's another passage that is really important, another breadcrumb comes from the prophet Zechariah chapter 14, and he talks about God's Messiah coming, and when that Messiah comes and sets foot, that the Mount of Olives is going to split in two. And it makes us think about the return of Jesus Christ. 
who after he was taken up into heaven from that very Mount of Olives said, I will return. And we know when he comes again, he's going to fulfill all his plans for the kingdom. Here's a representation uh, of, of this story. This is what a foal, a little, a little donkey, donkey foal looks like. I don't think Jesus was riding one that small. <laughs> but we come to this story of Jesus entering, and uh, I want to just ask us three questions today. The first question that comes from the story, and raise your hand if you know the answer to this question. What did Jesus need? Does anybody know what Jesus needed? Don't be shy. What did he need? Yeah. Food and water? Yes, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. I'm thinking specifically in this story. There's something that Jesus says he needs. What'd you say? The donkey. That's right. Now, we might think, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, Jesus needs a donkey. We, we think about transport, you know. I need a car. I need, I need to ride the train. Transports, you know. That makes sense that Jesus will need a donkey, except for when I tell you this. Up to this point in his travels, Jesus has been walking on foot. And so here he is in all his traveling, and he's a kilometer away, and he says, I need a donkey. That's a bit strange. That sounds like some of my kids, like, oh, pick us up. I don't know if we can walk all the way from school. You live less than a kilometer from the school. No, I'd be with you, kids. I'd be the one saying, I don't want to walk. <laughs> but it's a bit strange, isn't it, that Jesus, who's gone his whole ministry, whole ministry traveling by foot here, now that he's a kilometer away, says, I need a donkey. And Luke's reinforcing that point. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He's in absolute control. He tells two of the disciples, he says, you're going to go overhead. You're going to find a colt. It's a colt nobody's ever rode on before. It's going to be tied up. You're going to untie the colt. You're going to talk to the master, and you're, they're going to say, why do you need the colt? And you're going to say, the Lord has need of it. Jesus knew. So why does he need a donkey? Mm. We come back to those breadcrumbs again. Because another breadcrumb from the Old Testament that Luke's trying to show us to pick up to look at is that Zechariah, the prophet, said in chapter 9, verse 9, that God's king would come humble and riding on a donkey. Now, if you had the choice, you were going to be a king and you were going to come and you were going to come into your city and you had a choice of everything to ride on. Let's say you could have a tank a limousine, uh, or let's go back into the first century. We'll go, you could pick a chariot uh, or a war horse. How many of you would pick donkey? <laughs> not really a flex, is it? <laughs> it's not really like, hey, look at me, I'm on a donkey. That's because the picture of a king walking in on a donkey was a king who was already victorious. He wasn't coming on a war horse because he's already victorious. This says something about Jesus and who he understands him to be. Well, that's what he needed. He needed a donkey. Now, what did he hear? What did he hear? Who wants to, who wants to volunteer? What do you think Jesus heard as he was coming in? Come on now. There we go. Hosanna. That's right. Hosanna is a word that means praise, right? Yep. 
What else did he hear? I'll give you a hint. It's in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. <laughs> I told you to open your Bibles. <laughs> he heard people giving him praise. Absolutely. And the praise was, blessed is he who comes. And then Luke inserts something here, different from the other Gospels. The king. Blessed is he who comes. The king. He who comes in the name of the Lord. Now he heard something else too. He heard praise from people. What else did he hear? Rebuke. That's right. A rebuke is somebody saying, hey, stop that. You're doing it wrong. I hope on your first day of school you don't get rebuked. I hope your teacher doesn't have to pull you aside and say, I rebuke you, child. I doubt that will happen. I'm not trying to put fear in you. <laughs> Jesus hears a rebuke. The rebuke comes from the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were a group of people who really, really wanted to do the right thing by God, but they got so caught up in the fact that they were the ones that had to do it. They thought that they had to achieve perfection. They had to keep all the rules perfectly, and if they did it perfectly, then God would save them. It's pretty easy to think that way sometimes, isn't it? That God just wants me to do it all perfectly, and if I do it perfectly, he will save me. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. Jesus had to come because there was something we couldn't do for ourselves, and that was to make peace with God. You see, there's no amount of right things that you and I can do to make peace with God. Peace with God has to come from somewhere else. It has to come from a right standing with God. And the big dilemma for all of us is how do we get a right standing with God when we've already messed up? You've already got the demerit. You've got infinite demerits. How do you get right with God? And that's what Jesus came to show them. Interestingly enough, this is the last time in the Gospel of Luke that the Pharisees will appear. Isn't that interesting? The Sadducees and other religious leaders, you'll hear about them in the next few chapters, but this is the last time we hear from them. And it makes you wonder, these people who couldn't quite get on board with Jesus' mission, how would they turn out? If you want to know the ending of that story, read Luke's other document, the book of Acts, and you'll see what happened to some of those Pharisees, particularly a man named Saul. But this is the rebuke that Jesus hears, and he tells them, look, don't tell these people to be quiet, because if you tell them to be quiet, even the stones are going to cry out. The idea here is that this is so true. The kingship of Jesus Christ is so true, it's so real, that even inanimate objects... Even things that don't have a voice will declare because God will have a witness to the kingship of Jesus Christ. Finally, what did Jesus see? What did he see? Who wants to be brave? City. He saw the city. The city of? Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was the center of everything. That's where God said his king was going to have his throne. That's where the house of God was, the temple was. Jesus is going to be there very soon. 
That's where the temple was. That was kind of the meeting place. Back in the old covenant, before Jesus died, that was the meeting place. If you wanted to be on holy ground and you wanted to be in the presence of God, you had to go to the temple because God said it was in Jerusalem. That's where it was going to happen. Jesus saw the city. What else did he see? The future. Ooh, I like it. Good answer. He saw the future. And was it a good future? No. Depends how you see it. That's true. Jesus looked over the city, and these are his words. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. It's a strong emotion from Jesus. He wept over the city. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. You hear how he's talking to the city. He's talking to you over 12 times. Over 12 times he addresses the, the, the city personally, you. You've been in a conversation with someone and, 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 and they suddenly start talking to you. They say, I love you. I'm concerned for you. You're the reason I'm here. You are somebody that I enjoy living life. When someone starts talking to you in that, in that deeply personal way, you know that it's coming from the heart. Jesus is, is lamenting from the heart. He's weeping over the city. This is only time, the only time in the Gospel of Luke before we get to the Passion narrative where Jesus is described as weeping, weeping. What did Jesus see? He saw a people who ironically couldn't see who he was. That's what he says. He says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle and you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Or as the old King James would say, the day of God's visitation. You see, people think that God's with them all the time. Newsflash, he's not with you all the time. God is not in everything Yes, there's a sense in which you can't get away from his presence because he's over everything, but the Bible talks about this thing called the day of God's visitation, and it's this idea that God draws near. And here as Jesus is walking in, as, as he's riding in, excuse me, as he's riding in, he recognizes that this is the day of visitation, but nobody else notices it. They're all playing Goldilocks. And they're trying out the furniture. And they're sleeping in the beds. And they're sitting in the chair, yes, even the throne. And the owner of the house comes up the driveway and they don't even hear the car. They don't even notice the door shutting. They don't even notice him, his footsteps on the path. And he realizes, do you know who I am? I'm the king. I'm God and I'm visiting you. 
This is the day that everyone's waiting for. And only his disciples, Luke says, it was only the crowd of his disciples that were saying, blessed is he. And Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem and he saw a bunch of people who didn't know God. I want to ask you a question. When you look over your city or when you look over your school or when you look over your workplace, what do you see? Do you see a people who've recognized the visitation of God? Or do you see people who are living in somebody else's house, living a borrowed life, breathing the air that God gives them, eating the food that God provides, working the jobs that God has opened to them, living with the relationships that God has done, and they're, they're just living on borrowed time because they're living a borrowed life. Do we see that? You see, my fear sometimes for us, and I include myself in this, is that we look around and we look at the world that doesn't know God and is living this borrowed life and, and we think, ooh, I hope I get a chance to sit in that chair. I hope I get to eat some of that porridge instead of recognizing that we already met the owner of the house. This is what Jesus saw. You know, interestingly enough, and there's so many echoes here. One of the echoes if you go back this week and look, it goes back to the birth narrative. When, when the shepherds were, were hearing about the arrival of Jesus, they, they were out in the field and, and they saw the angels. And the angels said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem, look at verse 38. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace where? In heaven. Not on earth. Interesting. It's almost like Luke is pointing out to us that Jesus is about to meet a fate that is not going to be peace. But in heaven, everything is going according to plan. And so we stand back and we marvel at the mystery of God. God who would bring peace in the presence of his person, sending his son Jesus to walk and minister among us, to do marvelous things among them, and yet in that same providence, this Jesus would not be recognized for who he truly was, save for a small few, and they didn't even see it fully until after he had completed his work. And then rising from the dead that that king would be proclaimed. And so I leave you with this question. What do you see in Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? The Pharisees, they were interested enough to watch him pass by, and they said, good teacher, good teacher. What do they mean when they said that? They said, we recognize that, that you have some nice things to say, and you have a certain measure of authority, but but you're a teacher like one of a number of teachers. We could learn something from you. How different that is from the disciples who said, blessed is the king. Don't just let Jesus be your teacher. Yes, he is a teacher, absolutely, but he's not just a teacher. 
No disrespect to teachers. But he is the king of kings. Who do you see in Jesus? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give thanks for your love. We give thanks for your providence. Lord, help us to recognize the day of visitation. Help us to understand when the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to our hearts and provokes us and prompts us, help us to be ready to listen and obey. Lord, I pray your blessing over these people. Lord, may they know you. May they hear you. May they trust you. In you is life. And we love you, Lord. Amen. I'm going to invite the band to come back up as we uh, start to bring our service to a, to a conclusion. Uh, I just want to encourage you. Spiritual things can be confusing because apart from Christ, we walk in the flesh. So the worst thing you can do is to be dishonest about how things are spiritually. One of the worst things we can do is to put on a face, to put on a facade, to put on a front. Far better to just be honest and say, I don't know. Or to say, well, actually, this is who I think Jesus is. I don't think he's king. I'm not letting him be king in my life. Not yet. Far better to grapple with the truth than to put on a facade. May we walk in spirit and truth this week. Thanks, Eva.